Where are we going? Welcome to this exclusive podcast produced by Spirit Watch Ministries that will show where life in our darkening times is now turning and how you can avoid the detours of deception through the hope of biblical truth. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 warned us over two millennia ago and how urgently we need to heed him now. Our host is Pastor Rafael Martinez, a seasoned Northwest Indiana-based minister, intercessor, and counter-cult apologist who will help you discern the journey of change we're all on as the last day of the last days now winds down. For more information, check out our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. Now, here's Pastor Rafael. Hello, I'm Rafael Martinez, a minister of the Church of God Cleveland Movement. I'd like to welcome you to the latest edition of our Spirit Watch Ministries podcast entitled, Where Are We Going? I've been a minister since 1983, a disciple of Christ since 1980, and our outreach is called Spirit Watch Ministries, has been around since 1993 with one main mission, as our lovely announcer has said, to take heed that no one deceives you, as Jesus has warned us in Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, about these last days, which are preceding the end of the world. This deception Christ is warning us of is that of the spiritual confusion currently falling upon it and leaving people wondering that very question, where are we going? We're hoping to offer a few things to think about that, that will speak to some of that global bewilderment, and this is our third season of Going At It. So thanks for downloading our program. We're available on a variety of podcast channels such as Spotify, Amazon, Google, and Odyssey 24-7. Bookmark us and come back. Our podcast today is focused, as usual, upon biblical precept and social commentary, which exposes deceptive spirituality and provides perspective upon the wicked, yes, the wicked influence that it leaves in its wake. We'll be bold enough to say that there's a lot of evil spread in our world through spiritual deception that is inspired by many occultic movements around the world. In fact, there's more evil than most people ever dared truly imagine. Cultism is one of the most deadly and destabilizing influences in our society, which churches should have nothing to do with, but they do anyway. And the interviews with those who've been impacted by these evil belief systems who've testified to this harm are what we've been offering in these past two seasons. Today, we're once again focusing on the corrupt authority and wisdom of the Xenos Dwell Movement of Columbus, Ohio which presumes to proclaim the oracles of the Lord exclusively on the planet. Or so our guest Annie will help us see. So, so you think you can tell Heaven from hell Blue skies from pain Can you tell a green field From a cold steel smile from a veil Do you think you can tell? We are welcoming Annie to our uh, podcast today and I do appreciate your coming by Annie to share with us uh, you have uh, been a member of, you are now a former member of Xenos and from what we understand you were there, you are associated with them from about 1977 to about 1985 so That's correct and you were there during the golden years uh, when uh, they seemed like, like things were just going on forever and then stuff started happening. But uh, in any case, 
your story of how you got involved and, and where you went is certainly going to be a very instructional and very informative one. I, I'm thankful that you came on today. Well, thank you very much for asking me. Okay, well, you uh, had uh, written to us and had been sharing with us the fact that you were listening to the podcasts, and they all just seem to sound so familiar to you in the fact that uh, a lot of what you heard from uh, from the testimony of young men and women uh, who've been in Xenos just in the last couple of years uh, sounded so much like what you already uh, were, I guess, too well, were too well familiar with. Uh, in in those days, and um, this is back in the days when disco was king, and and um, and um, you know life was just was beautiful, and and um, you were back there with Xenos during the Fish House days, is that right? Yes, it was uh, Fish House when I first started going, and uh, then it changed names to Xenos near the end. Right. So how did you get involved with them? I mean, I mean, first, um, maybe you can give us a little short, you know, background on where you came from and how you got involved, you know. Okay. Well, before we do that, if you don't mind, um, it, it was quite a few years. 85 is, what, 38 years ago. And I never completely processed and got over the pain and anguish that I had while I was in Zenos, and I had a lot of the same things that happened to me happen to other people. Of course, like others, uh, I thought maybe I was the exception. Uh, Maybe I just did things wrong. Maybe it's my sinfulness. I'm very aware that I'm a sinner, Um, and I just thought I'm I'm just the you know one of the rare people that these things happen to. Well, I had a girlfriend who I found out that is is now going to uh, to well then to Zenos and now to dwell, and I I thought gosh. That place is no place for her to go. Let me check into it. Well, I looked, and the first thing I found was an article by The Beast. And those of you who've read it, and I know you have, uh, it lays out some horrifying things. Well, I did more and more research and found out that, no, it wasn't just me. The very things that happened to me, the very same processes, the very same leadership, the same everything was happening in a big way, in worse ways now, 38 years later, now that they have uh, the ability to track what you look at online and any of your social media usage, things like that. I was absolutely stunned, and uh, I just... I couldn't get enough of it. I've listened to every single one of your podcasts, the mm-hmm. Spirit Watch. I've listened to the see listened to things on uh, the YouTube channel. I've read Zena. I'm a member of the Facebook page. Zena, uh, oh gosh, I forget what it's called. It's uh, We're All Right or something like that. Uh, and I, as much as I can stomach it, I'll go back and, and look at it. But I'll tell you what, it still sends fear through me when I hear things that they did to me that they're doing in worse now. So um, I eventually looked into it a little bit. I've not gotten back to my girlfriend and because it's, it's difficult when you know someone who's gotten into the, into the organization. Um, what am I supposed to do? Call her up and say, this place is awful. And I still struggle with what I should do with that. But uh, um, I just want to add my voice um 
to, to the whole thing. And, and just to give you a little bit of background of who I am, um, I lived in Columbus a good part of my life. I did my undergraduate there at Ohio State. I did my master's, and then eventually I did my Ph.D., and I'm now a retired professor I don't live in Ohio any longer, um, but I'm, you know, I have an education. I'm, I'm not what Gary would call uh, a disgruntled ex-member. I'm one of the wounded by the systematic abuse by the leaders of Xenos and now dwell. It's, it's abusiveness that that they're subjecting people to, and it's a systematic abuse, and it has terrible implications, lifelong implications that religious abuse reaches into your soul and it does nasty things to you. It makes you turn your, your turn against God. It makes you not trust people. It, it's just, a, it's a kind of abuse that is just horrendous. And I believe that I've overcome a lot of that, but the pain of it is still there. I mean, it, it, the people that are going to listen to this, that have had that pain, they know what I'm talking about. Right. Right. And sadly, it is a uh, enduring legacy of Zenos. Uh, I'm sure they would not want people to think of it that way, but uh, as it's becoming increasingly clear more and more, Zenos's legacy is, has, has less to do with advancing the Christian faith than more with developing a, a Christendom um, factory. Uh, it's, a, it's not as many people believe it to be a, a church but a massive organization, a business, a one that's, that 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 uses religion uh, as its uh, as its mainstay, and um, unfortunately, that's that's been the truth. And and and, and from what you're sharing with us, uh, that has sadly been uh, the um, the real direction that that um, Zenos has taken since the days of Dennis and, and Gary doing their thing in that in that old house there to when they created the church and, and, and incorporated and moved on, they they have seen more and more more uh involved and concerned with brand management than actual Christian discipleship. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't like to say this, but I'm a business professor. I know about brand management. That's mm-hmm. exactly what they're doing. Mm. What ways? What ways do you see them doing that? It's interesting you mention that. It is brand management. I say, but with that, with that perspective, how would you see uh, Xenos managing itself in that way? Well, I think any church is concerned about its reputation, but the churches that I've been to that I consider healthy, when they think they have, first of all, um, they 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 practice a, a type of sanctification and I'm not talking about the, the sanctification that is sets aside, sets us aside for God's work. That's if you look up the definition of sanctification, that's fundamentally what it is, but it's the progression of becoming more like Christ. I think a, a, a normal thing that would happen in a healthy church is that you have leadership and they, and someone number one brings abuse, for example, to their attention. They would take it seriously, especially if it's multiple people complaining and and about the same thing um they would actually look inward and say well gosh what are we doing wrong we want to follow christ um there must be something that we're doing wrong now it's possible that maybe the complainer will come and they are misperceiving things but we're talking hundreds of people i have listened to 
so many different people read stories of people. We're talking hundreds of people that uh, that have have talked about abusiveness, and it's a cacophony. It's it's something you don't ignore. Xenos dwell, they ignore this. They say it doesn't exist. And even publicly in the dispatch and other and other uh, forms of communication, they Dennis and the leaders either ignore that it's happening or they they give it just lip service. That's not the way you act when you're when you're uh, trying to have integrity about what it is you're doing. And certainly you need to do that as a church. So they don't listen to the complaints. They don't do anything um, to try to adjust so that they can correct. They don't correct themselves. The same mistakes, the same things, the same abuses that happened when I was abused, when other people that I saw were abused, are happening now and in more insidious ways. It, mm-hmm. it, it, you just don't do that. It, right. it's, just, it's not godlike. It, it is not. Um, in fact, um, the one thing that drew me there, and in fact, just to kind of go back a little bit to one of your original statements, I was unchurched. I did not go to church. I came from a very abusive family, and fortunately, God has had his hand on my life, and he has blessed me and mm-hmm. allowed me to – I'm crippled in some ways. You know, anybody who's been uh, from a, an abusive home, they have a bit – they have difficulties. But I have been able to function. I've been able to be productive. I've been able to love other people. Um, God has – it's God that has done that for me. Um, but – Back then, when I was in my early 20s, I was going with a guy, and um, we were breaking up. And, of course, at that age, you have a breakup, and it's absolutely devastating. And it probably was a good thing. In retrospect, I think of it very differently. But I was, not surprisingly at the time, I was, right before we broke up, I was searching for God. I was looking for God in my life um, because I knew that God existed. I knew that he was the Lord of Lords um, and he had his hand on the universe and he had his hand on my life. He showed me in, in so many ways, even when I didn't go to church. Well, I was drawn to searching for God and in my heart of hearts, I know God saw that. And it's, it's a funny thing. Three different entities came to me and were, were trying to address that. Number one, there was a Jehovah's Witness who was trying to convert me to become Jehovah's Witness. And then there was a professor, because I was at the time, I was in my undergrad and then going, yeah, I was my undergrad then. There was a professor who asked me to be his TA. And he was inventing a spirit. He didn't call it a religion. He called it being uh, spiritual. He was inventing a religion. And it was a trifold religion. It sounded a lot like Christianity in some ways. And it just was fascinating to me. You know, you're that age and you hear about that kind of like, oh, yeah, tell me more. I'm looking for God. And then there was a professor I worked for. And he and his wife, of course, in Christianity, um, he I worked for him, and he ended up saying, you know, it's not proper to, for you to work with me. I want you to, to come alongside with my wife, and she'll help you nur- nurture you uh, to know the Lord. And um, uh, so there were the three of them. Well, I eventually ended up asking God, God, these three, there, there were interesting things about each of them. Which of these is true? 
And I, I just said, I really want to know you, Lord. Which of these should I follow? Well, it just so happened that I was asking, I also asked him, there are a lot of Bibles. What Bible should I buy? I want to buy a Bible. Well, it just so happened my boyfriend, my fiancé at the time, worked in a store right next to Logos Bookstore, which is no longer in Columbus. And I would go in there and look at Bibles. And and another professor who knew the professor I worked with, he said, he, two weeks after I prayed that, he said, oh, two weeks ago, I bought you a Bible. I've had it. I just haven't seen you. So he gave it to me. And I took that as God revealing himself in the path that I should take. And incidentally, the professor had told me, yeah, I'd like you to be my TA. I'll pay you to do this. It's research I'm doing. He was an economics professor of all things, not religion. But uh, he said, yeah, we used to have a TA, but she died. And I said, well, how did she die? He said, well, we do this thing called channeling. And she died while she was channeling. And that's what we'd like you to do. Well, gosh, I had no clue what that was. But when I found out what it was, I was scared silly. And so anyway, so I started. Wow, incredible. Well, you know, if you, I don't know much about channeling, but it, it sounds like you're dealing with some occultic things. And, well, yeah, and it's, it's, straight out, it's, it's straight out demonic possession. I mean, they, they, they contextualize it for the 20th century ear and make it sound like scientific and uh, metaphysical. Uh, just, you know, just, just enough, you know, to be, you know, on the flashy side. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and, but it's really that's basically what it is. A, a channel is someone who is is uh, who opens them up to actual spiritual possession. And yeah, scripture yeah. makes it clear that's that's demonic, and it can only be demonic because there's only one way, one or, one or two ways you're going to go spiritually. It's either either with God or against them. And so mm-hmm. wow, she died. Wow, incredible. Well, and in retrospect, you, you know, sometimes you have to look back. And when I talk about this, it is ultimately clear to me that God had his hand on my oh, life and he was protecting me. You know, we go through these things. And at the time, it was just confusing to me. Well, I started peripherally going to, to a fish house. And it was it was kind of fascinating because all of a sudden, I, here I am. I'm wondering about God. And I've got Dennis and Gary up front. And they, I have to say, they they were very good expositors of the word. They were very good factually. They knew their stuff. Uh, they could convey it well. It was just fascinating. It captivated me along with other people. And not only that, there were people there that were highly educated. There were people there that had no college education. There were people, uh, you know, that, that sat around, smoked cigarettes. And, and I don't remember them drinking alcohol at the at the central teachings. They may have. I don't I honestly don't remember. I knew that drinking was a part of it. They were kind of the cool people. And, and when Gary and I'm sorry, when Dennis would talk about his background, he if I'm unless I'm remembering correctly, uh, I thought he said that he used to be a drug dealer or he did drugs or something like that. And, you know, you go back to the 70s and you get a guy that stands up front and he's expositing very eloquently about the Lord and from the Bible. And it's so such authority and such power. Yeah, and, and, and you know, you think, oh, this is cool. There's this cool mm-hmm. factor to it. Yeah, this guy, it was very countercultural. Yeah. So it was easy to be drawn into that. Um, now, um, I do remember some of the things that he taught. Um, and one of the things that kind of makes it, I remember now, he was telling a story, and I think it's an Indian story, you know, Native American. And it's that, you know, there was a wolf. And 
depending on what you feed it, oh, I don't even remember the story, but it was like, if you feed yourself with good things, you're going to become good. If you feed yourself with foul things and bad things, you're going to produce bad fruit. And he said that, that it turns out however you feed it. Well, I thought to myself when he was speaking, oh, Gary, is he's being nurtured and, and nourished by the Lord and by the Bible. But now I look back and I think, I'm not so sure about that because it, there was a lack of love. There was just absolutely no, there was authority. And in fact, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Allender Center. It's part of the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. Uh, Dan Allender has wonderful uh, podcasts on spiritual abuse. And uh, one of the things that he said that I thought that applies to uh, Zenos, and, and I'll call it Zenos, it is dwell now. Um, he says, if you take good theology and you pervert it, it makes it into bad theology. So if you, if, if Gary is standing up talking about being authoritarian and, and, and he acts in a way that, oh, we're going to throw you out sex with somebody and, and, uh, you know, monitor everything you do and monitor and, and, and have control over your behaviors and who you talk to and how many times you come to meetings and all that sort of, and judgment, you know, that's missing the love. It's unbalanced. And so I think he's feeding into that so much that that's what's showing in the fruit. It's not a good thing. Um, It sounds like like you just, you could just walk out of Zenos a year, a, a year ago or a week ago. You're telling me you saw this way back then? Absolutely. And and, and it's interesting because it was so captivating and my heart was just longing for the word of the Lord. And I was getting some of it back then. It Even when I left, I felt guilty, like a lot of these people do now. They, they're, they're apologetic. Now, I never was in leadership. and um, But anyway, I, I preferably went, and then I'd come and I'd go. And eventually, I got to the point where I thought, I'm going to get serious. I actually, um, I actually had broken up with my boyfriend, and I had started to date somebody else. And I thought, I'm going to start this off right. I want to, I want to, I don't want to make the same mistakes in this relationship. And I started coming to Zenos. Well, it just so happened that that particular teaching Gary was talking about, and it is true. I believe that it's biblical. He said, if you have sex with somebody, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So if you're going to have sex with somebody, marry them. And I took that, I, I took that at face value and, and we got married. And now he was an alcoholic. He was abusive. Our marriage didn't last very long at all. He, he was extremely abusive. And of course, coming out of that, you know, I, I quit coming to Zenos and then I, and then I was in great need and I went back when I was alone again. And, um, and so I started coming. I was very obedient. I actually was asked to live in a ministry house. And unfortunately, back then, maybe true now, I don't know, but I lived on North Campus housing. And I had had my own apartment. I had a job. Uh, I was living in a safe environment by myself. And the leader said, no, no, you really need to live in a ministry house. That's how you're going to learn to love other people. And and it was in a very unsafe place. And I said, I said, this is not a safe place. I don't want to move here. And I was told, oh, if God, is, if 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 you really believe in God, 
He's going to protect you. Well, he didn't. <laughs> My car was vandalized. We had a break-in one time. Um, and what happened was someone came. I lived with four girls. We were in a duplex. There were four women in the other place. And uh, uh one, I don't like Halloween myself, but my two of my roommates were out for a Halloween party, and there are always parties at, at Zenos, um, and they went to it, and I went to bed early because I worked, and I, I also, you know, I went to school, and I worked, and I was in Zenos, and the demands of time were just the same back then as they are now, and um, uh, someone kicked the back door down. Well, it just so happened that one of my roommates had MS. And she made a lot of noise when she'd walk and she'd, she'd get, you have know, temper tantrums. And I just thought, boy, Barb got really mad. And I went right back to sleep. Well, they came upstairs and they said, somebody kicked the back door in. You know, it, oh, actually, I went to sleep and then they came sometime afterwards. I don't know how many hours after, but they, they said the, the back door was, was, was kicked down. And we went down, looked, and the door's kicked down. There's no back door. And um, then the leadership said, oh, well, I guess it's unsafe. And then we were all dispersed to another house, to other houses. Um, but, you know, the thing that drew me in more than anything was this, what I consider now, um, it's kind of a counterfeit, we care about you. It was that love, what we call now the love bombing. And it was, it was, oh, yeah, come to our meetings. Oh, what are you all about? What do you do? And asking questions. All of a sudden, it just seemed like people were hanging on my every word, like they cared about me. Well, as I saw that unfold with other people, what I think of it is now, I think that they're very good. The leaders are very good, at least some of them are, very good at being able to see where your weaknesses are. And I was very needy. I was hurting. And they were able to kind of false minister to me in different ways that made me feel like, oh, gosh, these people understand me. They care for me. They love me. And um, I'll tell you what, I, I never really had a deep relationship there. Um, we all had to fall in line and do what we were told to do, go to a certain number of meetings and, and you had to bring people in. Um, and I think they still do this now. Uh, they did this assessment of people as they came in on your personality, your spiritual gifts or so. I don't remember what they called it. And they, they, well, the um, personality testing. And you, you reminded me of that. And, uh, that's ex that's exactly what it was. And but I never did a paper and pencil test. I just remember people standing around and saying, "Oh, she's a sanguine." And I, w what my impression was, was the leaders were clerics, and they were very, uh, "Let's get the job done. Here are the rules. Uh, we're going to do A, B, C, and D." And and um, I know that there are other ways you describe yeah. it, but those were the characteristics of the leaders. Um, I felt very glad that I wasn't a melancholy because it was almost as though if because you were a melancholy or um, or a sanguine that, oh, well, we, we just really can't use you. I, I remember being called diffuse all the time. It's like, oh, well, you're a sanguine. You're diffuse. Well, I'll tell you what, you label people and they become what you label them to be. It's like, oh, well, I don't really amount to much. I'm never yeah. going to be a leader. And, and actually, part of, didn't, that's part of the standardized testing they use now. You know, yes, it, it seems everyone I've spoken to on this podcast about their time in Xenos, as as Xenos is, is taking their measure and weighing them and seeing just where they fit in their organizational scheme, is that this uh, this mm -hmm. whole temperament yeah. personality test 
was something everybody was basically uh, uh, um, supposed to do and then be basically uh, categorized for, the, for, for life. So if you yeah, measure up as, as a choleric or a sanguine or phlegmatic or mancali, without any scriptural basis for this, by the way, then not a single no. word in scripture about this. They just say, oh, you're, you're because you, you did A, B, and C, you're this. Because you did D, E, and F, you're that. And automatically people look at you and judge you for that. And that was they going do. on and back then, you said. I was I was pigeonholed. And just, it's kind of interesting because I've, I've been very curious about this. I got online and I found the interactive test that you can take for Xenos. And I took it. Well, According to that test, I was a melancholy. I never took a test before. They just sized me up, and I was deficient. And I never was put in any leadership. There wasn't any – I really was kind of written off in a lot of ways. I never quite knew what I did wrong. That's the problem. I, if you're going to disciple somebody, if you're going to bring them along in Christ, yeah. number one, you got to know them. Yeah. Um, you gotta you got to care, really care about them. And have want their sanctification, so in their weaknesses, you want to bring them along so that they, they become more Christ-like. And none of that was ever done with me. Um, I was basically written off. And, and actually, in retrospect, I think it was really something wonderful for me because if I would have been slotted for leadership, look what these poor people that were put into leadership, especially the, the young people, the people of college age and younger, they're put in leadership. They have no training. They're expected to, to discipline people and, uh, mm-hmm. th- and, and then the regret that they have because they feel like they've manipulated people. They were basically forced to do that. They were trained to do that. They, it's just, you comply. Uh, so I was very fortunate not to, to have that happen with me. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just didn't quite figure it all out what they were doing. But, but you know, there was a lot of this kind of getting back to what, what they do that's not good. Um, the gossip, um, I would tell them very personal details, just like these people say on the other broadcasts. I would give them secrets that I presumed they would keep confidential. When you talk to somebody in confidence, you presume that they're going to keep it confidential. That wasn't the case. It was shared all up with leaders that I didn't even know. And they would make decisions for me. I told, you know, they knew that I was, that I'd been married. And they came to me, one woman that I didn't know. She came to, her name was Mary. I don't, I don't know where she was, where her home church was, but she came to me and she said, um, you know, you were married. Do you want to get back with your husband? Or maybe they might have even said something like, well, you should get back. Biblically, you should get back if you can. I, I believe they said that, but I, I don't have the memory of specific things. And of course, I cared for him. And I said, yes. And they said, well, um, well, what we're going to do is this. He has to come and live in a ministry house, just like you are, for a year. You can't date, you you, um, but you come along in the Lord. He comes along in the Lord. If he's still around in a year and he still loves the Lord, well, you get married. Well, you know what? They never ask me why I got divorced. They never ask if I had been kicked and abused and and he 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 became very violent. He was he was. A drug user. He was an alcoholic. They never yeah. got to know me. You don't go in. And he had been unfaithful. That's part of the reason why we why we got divorced. And they just um, presume that you're just going to fall in line. And after he lives in the ministry house for for a year and passes some, some maybe some questions, that that's the mandate. You're going to remarry him. Case closed. 
Yeah, in fact, you know, over the course of the year, I, I, you know, we used to get together with the men's ministry houses, and we'd have dinners and stuff. It was actually a lot of fun. I got to know some nice people. Well, there was one guy named Tom, and boy, did I think the world of him. I didn't have a crush on him or anything like that because I was already planning to get remarried. But I just thought, gosh, this is the kind of person that I really like. And I mentioned to them, I said, you know, I'm not so sure that I'd like to remarry my husband. There might be somebody else out there that would, you know, that I would rather marry. And of course, remembering the abusiveness and all that sort of thing. And they said, oh, no, you can't do that. You've, we're holding you to this. In fact, the one thing that the woman Mary said to me was, she says, I want you to make a decision where you're going to marry him or not. And I'm going to hold, we are going to hold you to this. And they held me to that. And I thought that's what God wanted. I believed that that's what God wanted. Well, let me tell you, I think that my husband was also a bit of a pedophile. Um, because when we got married, we finally did. On our wedding night, he looked at me and he said, you do not look like a prepubescent girl anymore. And he wanted nothing to do with me. And he went out and he had multiple affairs, one with an underage girl. And then we tried to reconcile again. And I didn't realize he'd been sleeping with people. He gave me a sexually transmitted disease. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just like you don't walk people into a situation without knowing what it is you're doing. I committed when I committed to something and they never asked me why I got divorced. And I had some really compelling reasons why. And, of course, that marriage didn't last very long either. Um, so, I mean, that is one of the things there's, you know, it, it's just horrendous. Um, why well, are we, they presume. isn't that how Xenos operates? They, they operate on this authoritarian presumption that they know better than you how to live your own life. Yes. And they, now, and they help may... you make, they help quote unquote help you make decisions that are best left to you and God. Yeah. They didn't teach me how to think. They taught me what to do. Yeah, yeah. They didn't oh, let yeah. me think. And, it, it's, and then here's another example of something that happened. Um, of course, my ex-husband had been a drug user, and and I knew that he had been. It's he didn't. I didn't think he was when when I was married to him. I you know I thought that was all done and over. Well, it just so happened that there were a couple guys. I used to live with a woman and her brother, and there were three of us living in a house. And um, her name was Jan. She wasn't a Christian. This was way, way, way long prior to that. And uh, I was going, that was when I first went back to college and uh, my freshman year. And she ended up, she had two boyfriends. One was in jail. He was jailed because he was a drug dealer. And it was only marijuana, so it didn't seem too bad to her. And she was also dating this other guy. So she, Gary was in jail and she was, she was dating Jerry. Well, she ended up moving. And her former boyfriend, Jerry, moved, well, the the one that, while Gary was in jail, Gary was in jail, Jerry moved in when she moved out. And I really didn't like the idea. I really didn't care for him. I think he was a drug dealer. I'm pretty sure that he was. I'm just, it's going by by memory, and I just don't remember. I think he was. Um, Well, it ended up that I found out that he and his brother were in the fellowship. And I called one of them up, I don't remember which one, I really didn't know his brother, but they were both, and I think it might have been in leadership, not very high up. Well, I called him and I said, hey, you know, and, and of course, anybody who's ever, ever um, 
well, let me just keep going. Um, I called him up and I said, hey, I didn't realize you, you, you gave your life to the Lord. Isn't that exciting? And it was, the conversation was very short and I didn't have a lot to say. I was just really excited that, that somebody under those circumstances had given their life to the Lord. Well, I get a call from my home church leader and he said, well, we don't know about you. And what, what? I could tell it was big trouble. He says, you, you're calling people that you had sex with. I said, I didn't call anybody I had sex with. What are you talking about? And he told me that I had had sex with him. Well, if you've ever been sexually molested, it's something you can forget. It's something you never forget, but it's not at the top of your mind. I buried it. Well, it brought back a memory. I had gone with Jerry to his brother's house one time, and and I don't, uh, he must have slipped me something or gave me something. I might have willingly taken it. I don't remember. Well, the next day when I was home, I could tell that, you know, what had happened. Well, I thought it was only with Jerry. Well, apparently it was with Jerry and his brother. And I found out that day that I was raped. And it was a horrendous thing. Of course, I didn't, I didn't, it took me a while to process that and, and remember that. Um, and I put the pieces together. And of course, what I thought was, oh, geez, I did real, something really bad. And it was my fault. And I shouldn't have done, oh, gosh. And of course, they corner you and they treat you like you're, you're scum of the earth, not like you're God's children who need guidance. And I hadn't had sex. With, this was years before that. This was maybe in 1971 or 72 or maybe 73, something like that. It was years before. And what an awful thing to come to the conclusion of what had happened. I thought it was bad enough the way it was, but when it was two brothers, not just one, oh, it was just awful. But I, but I, you know, I kind of, I got in line. I didn't talk to them anymore. Um, and then that's it, just not how you treat people. You don't do that to people. You ask them what happened. You don't do that to people. So let me see Not in a Christian that. church. Let me see if I understand this correctly. You said two men that you knew as leaders in another home church who were brothers, and they were complicit in some incident where you were drugged and then raped while you were unconscious. And you said yes, you discovered that. that. Was, and then, that was very many years earlier, though, that that happened. They weren't in the church at the time. They weren't in the church. No. That was many years prior, before they were Christians. Okay. All right. So they came to the Lord. They became leaders. Is that correct? As far as I understood, yes. And then you had talked to them about this situation. I talked talk to one of them, yes. One of them. And, they, and, that, and then suddenly you're, you're hammered uh, yes. by, by authority for talking to them about what they had supposedly done when you when that wasn't the case yeah and and to now be you, honest with you i didn't remember what the other brother jerry's brother looked like i didn't know where he lived i didn't know what he looked like i talked to him on the phone uh, you know i to this day i have no clue what he even looks like but i know that he had sex with me and i know that i did not comply i never i never uh, i i i i was given drugs and i I knew the next day when I woke up home, something had happened. There's no getting around that, but I just, I just kind of, I just kind of thought, oh, geez, I'm never going around him again. I made a really bad mistake. Whoa, I'm bad. 
you know, you, you blame yourself when things like that happen. And, and it probably was to some degree my, my fault, but it wasn't entirely my fault. It wasn't my choice. So you chose to associate with two men who you didn't think were going to drug you. I mean, who, yes. who, who expects that, you know? In fact, you know, they, they, they're the ones guilty of a crime against you, but unfortunately they seem to have gotten away with it. Yeah, and, and the whole thing is nobody asked me anything about it. They just believe what the guy said. Oh, we had sex with her. Well, yeah, I guess you did. Sorry you, you're telling me about this now. Oh, they didn't bring up the conditions. Oh. So they brought that up at that point when uh, you were just trying to rejoice with them that one of them saw the light, and that wasn't the way Xenos looked at it. They looked at you as somehow condoning uh, a, a, a past sinful behavior that you supposedly were responsible for. Does that sound right? Yeah, I'm, I'm palling up with people that I had sex with. It's like, well, you know what? I, I'll tell you what. I, I, I don't know that that's a crime by itself but but under those circumstances i mean if i had no if i had remembered that i wouldn't have been excited about anything i would have been horrified but there are times when you've been when you've been under those circumstances that it just isn't the first thing that comes to your mind mm-hmm. yeah it's not so yeah so this, is, so this is what's going on while you are living under the auspices of the ministry houses there um, yes yes and and you're watching the church uh, grow and expand, and, you, and you're seeing these sort of egregious things going on. I, I'm certain from what I, what you and others have told you, you weren't the only one experiencing this sort of thing. Others were, were running into the same kind of dodges uh, from 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 very deviant characters within the fellowship, but who got away with it simply because yeah, well, they, they were men, right? Well, I'll give you an example. My roommate Patty. She liked Jose, who was, uh, she had dated him in the past. And I don't hold me to every single detail. I'm going to give the best representation that I can think of, but it'll be general. She had dated Jose, who was my home church leader. And they had had sex. Well, they had broken up. He was, and I don't know when the sex had occurred, probably before he was a home church leader. Um, and so they weren't supposed to get together. Well, they still cared for each other. So they got together and they had sex. And I, I didn't hear it. I didn't see them doing it or anything like that. It's just that they had. And all of a sudden I remember, oh, well, Jose's disappeared. He's not in leadership. And the word got out that they had had sex. And uh, it's like, okay, well, that makes sense. They had sex. He shouldn't be a leader. Well, not too much longer after that, he was a leader again, and they got married. They got married, I believe, after I left or somewhere around that time. I don't know. I don't remember when they got married, but because I, by the time the break-in occurred, we were no longer roommates. So it was after after the break-in, and we moved to different different ministry houses. Um, but yeah, so he was not reprimanded. He wasn't thrown out of the church. Mm. Um. And and just another thing, I mean, they're just so authoritarian. They have to control everything you do. Uh, we had to go, I, I think it was seven. It might have been six times a week I had meetings. We had, I had a discipler. We had home church. We had parties we had to go to. We had central teaching. There ended up to be six or seven uh, different events that we had, that we, were, we were required to go to. And um, I remember at least one of them was outreach. And uh, we were supposed to corral different people that were uh, that we could recruit to the church. And, of course, it wasn't called that. 
But um, I remember one guy that I worked with and his girlfriend, they came and it, what happened was we would have some activity. It could be a volleyball game it, and those were a lot of fun. Could be it could be going to someone's house and listening to music and dancing and just kind of hanging out together, and there was drinking there and smoking and all that sort of stuff. That's nothing new, um, and, and by itself, that's I mean if that's the worst thing you do, I'm fine with it. But it wasn't the worst thing. It was just part and parcel of this very uh, permissive side combined with an authoritarian side. Well, what we'd end up doing is we'd end up going to the Pizza Hut afterwards, and there was always a home church leader there. There were other people from the church that had leadership positions, and they would kind of corner these people and talk to them about God. And I just felt really uncomfortable with the way that they did things like that. It just seemed so fake to me. It was not it was not what I was learning about Christ in the Bible. It wasn't like the the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, where he, he loved her and he, yes, she had had numerous husbands. Yes, she was living with a man, but he didn't condemn her. He wanted to draw her near to, to him. Um, and uh, I didn't see that. I just saw it, it was like these wolves that were preying on these, these people. And uh, there was a rule of thumb that Jose had. If you recruit somebody, you invite them three times, whether they come to an event or not. If they don't respond within three times, then you just walk away, dust your feet off and walk away. Um, and they're not, they're not worth pursuing anymore. Well, I don't think that's the way God works. There's not a three strikes rule. God will pursue us no matter what. He will constantly pursue us and, and pursue us with love. And that was a little bit problematic. Um, you know, the, the things like that. I remember one time I, I called. I was sick. I, I've since found out that I have a, an autoimmune disorder. So I have respiratory sickness pretty regularly. Well, back then I didn't know that. But one time I was sick and I couldn't come to one of the meetings. And I called Jose and I said, Jose, I am sick. I got to stay in bed. At that time, I was studying for my PhD entrance exams. So it's I was working. I was coming to Zenos and then I was studying for that. That's a pretty busy schedule, a lot like a lot of the people that I've heard on the on the radio on the uh, podcasts that you have. Mm-hmm. They're just busy, busy, busy. Well, he told me. He said. Well, if you really trusted God, you'd never get sick. Mm-hmm. And that was the end for me. I just wrote it off after that. I thought, this is not the place I want to be. And it was a gradual uh, withdrawal at that point in time. But this authoritarian, you got to do what we say you do. And, and no consideration of your circumstances, nothing. Uh, you're not allowed to get sick. Otherwise, you don't trust God enough. That is baloney. Right, right. And you feel that, it's, that that authoritarianism stems right back to what apparently was cast at the very beginning. I mean, uh, I believe, yeah. And, and you felt like like the entire Xenos Fellowship was built basically around the the McCallum the Lashman dynasty, with of course the McCallums, from what all reports we hear, became socially the dominant people, the dominant social force that people would model themselves around. Within Xenos from that from from that time forward is that is that fair? Ab- absolutely, absolutely, no no question about it. I was talking to Vicky, whom you've interviewed before, and you know that we've talked. Um, 
I don't remember if it's her who said this, but I walked away and I took down a little note. And I thought it was accurate. The entire organization is built on arrogance and pride. You take a guy that's a young, probably 20-something, he starts a movement of a church, and he says, we are the only um, first-century church-like organization in the whole universe, (laughs) and we are the best. And and by the way, they put down other churches. They They would openly say in meetings, oh, I'll name a church, Grace Brethren. I ended up going to Grace Brethren after. I remember one time I knew a a young woman who was leaving Grace Brethren, and he said, oh, you can't recruit her to come here. She's a Grace Brethren. And they they would talk about people in other churches like they were not Christians at all and like there was something wrong with them. It's like, oh, no, we don't want that person here. Uh, no, don't go recruiting those people. And what they explicitly said was they said, we're we're going after the unchurched. We're going after, there's a big group of unchurched people, and those are the people that we're targeting. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but don't put down other Christians. Don't say that they're lacking. So they treat it as though they're the one organization in the whole of the world that is right. Now, they're... They didn't, they had no, at the time, I don't believe they had any seminary training. They were very young. You got to be really careful when you get somebody that's 20 years old, it's a former drug dealer that starts his own church. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you, you, you see lots of things. You, you get anybody, take it outside of religion. You get somebody who's 20, they start a new organization um, and and they say, oh, this is the best company in the whole world. Invest in us, invest in us. I think it was Elizabeth Holmes who did something like that. She was going to the University of Berkeley, I think, in Cal Berkeley. And look what happened to her. She didn't know what she was doing. She made a lot of empty promises. When you have a situation where somebody like that is gone, goes unchecked without without iron sharpening iron, you possibly could have some serious problems. And in this case, I believe that they do. I think that there that that there's an arrogance there, um, and there's a, you know you look at some biblical verses, you look at uh, uh, things. There's a Bible verse that I looked at. It's Galatians five nineteen to twenty one, and and this is the uh, new uh, the NIV. Um, the acts of the flesh are obvious: sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft; hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Well, what about idolatry? I think that that it can be argued. In my opinion, I think that I mean I watched I watched Dennis's mom. She sat front and center, and she sat next to the professor's wife Anne, and they idolized Dennis. And and they would, oh, they'd fawn all over how wonderful they were and all that. That's a little bit idolatrous to me. And that, that happened over and over and over again. I think there's a lot of discord that they create. You know, when you, the discord that I, the things that I gave you examples of in my, my experience, mm-hmm. that created a lot of discord. Uh, now, I don't, I can't say this is true, but I've heard through other people that there are times when Gary, uh, no, I'm sorry, not Gary, Dennis, uh, has fits of rage. And I don't know if that's true or not, so I won't put my mark on it. Selfish ambition, I believe that that's what it is. He's very ambitious. And then the drunkenness, people people drink to, to becoming drunk. Um, I mean, those things those things are, are, are not good. Uh, mm. The fruit of the fear is 
Spirit. You look at Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, did I see love there? I saw what they call tough love. I think that's how they define love. I didn't experience a lot of joy. I don't know about peace. Forbearance? No, it's, it's like you do one thing wrong and boy, you can, you can be, uh, you can be taken, taken out by the knees, uh, kindness, goodness. Now were some of those things exhibited by some of the people? Yes, they were. I don't think people would stay if there was none of that, but in the leadership, I don't see that. I, I don't, you know, they swear up and down. Well, this is not our policy, but I'll tell you what, their practice their practice is not yeah. in line with the fruit of the spirit. No the classic, way. The classic hidden curricula, what I've been talking about on this podcast for some time, is the fact that's not worthy of getting into further. I think. Yeah, I mean, that, well, that, I know you've mentioned that. We really, we really are going to be look, looking a lot more into that in the next, uh, the next uh, podcast to come. But that entire talk I gave uh, for for the uh, convention about a month or two ago just focus on the fact that, you know, you can have a whole bunch of very pious, very zealous looking people uh, just saying all these great high sounding platitudes about how loving they are, about how giving they need to be, about how much they want to reach the world for Jesus, how they want to preach the gospel. And yet by their very actions behind closed doors, by their very mandates made clear by the directions they lead people into, by the very things they, they, they compel people to submit to as a part of so-called obedience, they do exactly the opposite. They're the most unloving, vicious, a uh, bunch of religious bullies I think I've ever seen. I mean, I, I mean, I've been I'm coming off of 20 years researching Re- Remnant Fellowship and Gwen Shaman's madness, and uh, those people were, were pound for pound just as equally nasty as a discipling or or, or, or a punitive uh, committee, committee uh, in in Zeos. I mean, I, I, I an excommunication session that you talk that we hear about isn't any more isn't any less terrifying than anything I ever heard go on in that cult. And but well, that doesn't think... surprise me because that's human nature; it's everywhere. And the scriptures yeah, well, you shared really really show that. Well, there's an experience that I had. Um, you know, I think it might have been new. It maybe it was new, maybe it wasn't. I'd never heard of it before. But they actually set me up with a discipler. But I didn't know she was a discipler. I thought they were just setting me up with a friendship with a young, with a woman. And she was married. She had a couple children. And she I think she was pregnant with her third. And um, it, it was really awkward because I thought we were friends. I thought we were one-to-one and we were peers pretty much. And I'd go over and we'd talk. And, and you know, it's the iron sharpens iron. I thought we'd maybe we'd discuss things. But it wasn't like that. And I think I was viewed by leadership as a rebel because I wasn't I wasn't acting like I was being discipled. I didn't know that I was being discipled. I thought that they set me up with a potential friend. Well, one day she came to me and she was just downtrodden. She was just beside herself. And we talked and she said, she said, I'm really, I'm really unhappy with what happened. 
uh, apparently, and this is from my recollection, and I believe that it's accurate. She says, I, I have a brother-in-law, and he's got some mental health issues, and I don't know what they were, but he had some mental health issues. Well, he did something. They brought him before the church, and they reprimanded him and threw him out. It was one of those, one of the um, excommunication things that happened. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know how much longer after that, because she had told me this. I was horrified the whole time. She said, at some point afterwards, he went home, he shot himself in the head and killed himself. Oh and she God. said, and I had to go clean up after it. She said, I'm just so angry about that. And I thought I was in another world. Here this woman is telling me that her, her brother-in-law got excommunicated, which I didn't know anything about. I hadn't heard about that at the time. And he committed suicide because of it. And nothing was said. Nothing was done. No repentance. You get people, and it's more than just him. I've heard stories. You get people that commit suicide. And if you've got a leadership that cares in a normal church that's healthy, you go back and they go, whoa, let's look into this. This is not right. They don't even see that it's wrong. They don't even see that. I mean, there's something really, really wrong when you've got things like that going on. That's horrendous. It's unacceptable. What's the act of the flesh? That's exactly Absolutely. What, what you just what you just shared. You know, the acts of the flesh are obvious, but the people who who live out and act out of the flesh all the time and are left with absolutely no scriptural authority around them as being asserted, they're just going to do whatever they gravitate towards. And you and uh, anyone who knows religious people knows that for all their stellar talk, they can be often be, often be quite irreligious in how they act. Well, that's what's mm-hmm. going on here. And that's what's me as a, what I as a minister really, really, it really grates me to see that people in the name of God are, are abusing others and ripping each other off and submitting each other to the most horrible, horrible of, of abuses, and it's so mundane. It happens all the time. No one thinks anything about it any longer, except mm-hmm. people like you who have to live with that brokenness. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, the the authoritarian part, I actually looked up, you know, as an academic, you do these things. Uh, I looked up the word. It says favoring or enforcing strict obedience to authority at the expense of personal freedom. Well, I'll tell you what. Do they cut off personal freedom? Yes. I wasn't allowed to go see my family. I, in fact, one, I mean, they'd say, no, 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 you've got to come to the meetings. You can't skip out on a meeting. You can't go visit some of your family. No, it's sorry. You can't do that. Well, one time they had a bunch of people that that was three or four that came with me to visit. And I think they were trying to proselytize. Well, I mean, it, 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 I guess it was a nice thought that maybe they'll bring my dad to Christ, but I'm sorry. Uh, that's not how you do it. You don't go one time and, uh, uh, I don't even know, I don't know what they were doing, but I didn't have any personal freedom. I couldn't go visit my family. I couldn't take a day off sick from a meeting. Um, look, look at the people now. They can't even go on websites. Um, uh, I, I just think it's, it, it's, it's a kind of emotional abuse. They, they control your behavior. They shame you. It creates a lot of anxiety. They isolate you from friends and family. Unless you're in the fellowship, they they prevent you from seeing other people. There's a lot of coercion. 
And I think that they're deceptive because when you invite new people, in fact, they never really kind of came clean that, oh, yeah, we're a religious organization. It was just, oh, we're playing volleyball or we're just getting together for to listen to some music. Some Nobody ever told these people that, that oh, yeah, we're a member of a church and, and we just thought we'd invite you and, you know, enjoy your company and see what you know about the Lord. You know, see if you want us and talk about the Lord. Why not be up front? But mm-hmm. no, no, they're, it's deceptive. Um I, you know, they get people to live in dangerous conditions. You've heard, you've talked to people. They lived in houses that had 10 or 12 people in them. Right. They're crowded. They're unsafe. I mean, well, what kind, I mean, what's well, going on here? Thing, when, when you were in the ministry houses living, living there around the, you know, the close of 79, 80, uh, were, how big were the ministry houses then? Were they really being pushed strongly then? Um, well, I'll tell you what, they were, they were pushed. I don't know how big they were. Um, mine was four and four. We had a three-bedroom house, so I wouldn't say that was overcrowded. The big bedroom, which would have been the master bedroom of half the duplex, two girls shared it, Barb and Patty. And then Paula was my other roommate. She had one room, and then I had another. So I, we weren't overcrowded there. Um, we eventually, once we had the break-in, I moved to a house in Arlington, which was a whole lot safer. I think it might have been a four-bedroom. And we had at least eight girls there. So I wouldn't say that it's topping off how crowded it was, but it was, I mean, it was packed. I wouldn't pack any more people in it, but, but you, you've heard the stories. There are people where they got three people in a room and that, I did not see that then. If it was going on, I was unaware of it, but, uh, yeah, I didn't see that then, but, uh, yeah, so I didn't see that kind of thing. It may have happened, but I, I don't remember seeing it. I didn't know a lot of people in ministry houses. Frankly, I was so darn busy with working, going to school, and, and keeping up my end of the bargain um, of, of going to all the, the different meetings that I just didn't have time to, to get to know other people. Um, back in those so, days, uh, well, excuse me, back in those days when they were mobilizing, you know, basically peer leadership, to actually run the ministry houses and all the other auxiliary they were doing. Um, I think you and I both understand that what they were doing is they were mobile. They were, they were banding together people. They're calling people out to be leaders who probably should have had no business being any kind of leadership at all, simply because of the fact they were immature themselves and had no training. What now today, uh, a lot of the leaders that are in, that are now within Xenos have ostensibly, Supposedly, yeah. gone through some sort of uh, training, uh, some 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 sort of uh, uh, teaching, which is quite questionable in and of itself. Which which is supposed to help people understand what 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 um, uh, what it means to actually be have governance over people in a spiritual way. And at the same time, they let that go of their heads and let them believe well, since they can be spiritual governors, they can be temporal or personal governors, and then they, they become life coaches. Or basically, uh-huh. you know, uh, 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 slave drivers telling people exactly how to live and drive. Now, was that like that then, or were they just appointing whoever? My... And to, and these people had no training, no no intervention at all in how to in how to work with people. Not not to my knowledge, I, they didn't have. Now, what I call those is indoctrination. I wouldn't call it training. I've been to leadership training. I've I've developed leadership training programs. It, that's that's not sufficient. To, you take an eighteen year old, put them through eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old. You put them through some of those 
classes, which I would say is indoctrination. Here's how you do things. And of course, it's supposedly grounded in the word, but you can be selective about what, what, what Bible verses you use. Um, they're not going to be equipped. They don't have the experience. I mean, you can't even become president. What is it? What, if you're, I think you have to be over 35 to become president of the United States. Now, being a, a, in leadership in a ministry is not the same as being president. But, but the whole idea behind it is you got to have a little experience so you have something to base it on. You've got to have a little bit more grounding in living. Um, you can't expect these people. You can't say, oh, you select, oh, yeah, you're a cleric or you have all sorts of potential. And, and so we're going to put you, aren't you great that we can put you in a leadership position? You're going to be just like so-and-so. I remember listening to Collins. And boy, did they butter him up so that he would comply. I mean, how do you say no when they tell you that kind of stuff? Right. They're, 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 they're stroking your ego and you right. feel obligated. Yeah. Oh, the Lord is doing this to me. He's bringing me along. I mean, my goodness, would you let a 20 year old lead you? I mean, would you trust? Not that they're untrustworthy. They just don't know what they're doing. Right. They have no life experience. They don't. No. no. And no. so you have, you, have a group of, you have a group of young men and women basically, again, in peer leadership. Who, who have absolutely, virtually almost no different than experience or wisdom or maturity level being given absolute authority by, 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 by an authoritarian group like that, that's grooming people to, to spit out clones of one another. The problem is the absolute authority. There's nothing wrong with bringing along young people to be leaders. It's done all the time. Yeah. But you have to you get you've got to give them a little bit. They've got to grow. They've got to develop. And you also have to nurture them and mentor them. You don't just throw them out there and give them a few classes. No, no, that's just that's gonna that's disastrous. You yeah. never design something like that. Don't give them absolute authority. That's that's foolish. And you saw the fruit of that growing up within within that within that atmosphere. Yeah, there wasn't so much of the bringing along the young people when I was there, but there were people in leadership that I, you just kind of wondered. You kind of wondered why. I mean, why were they given so much power? There's no iron sharpening iron. I didn't see any of it. Mm-hmm. You know, you put me in a Bible study with somebody when I'm a young person and I can ask questions and say, well, what about this or what about that? Well, I'm not going to attack them or anything. I'm just curious. That's natural curiosity. I didn't see any of that. It's like, nope, nope, no questions. Oh, you're being disobedient. Oh, you're rebellious. Oh, and then, and then of course, if they throw you out, it's like, oh, you never were a Christian to be in with. How do you lose your salvation? You don't. I'm sorry. They're wrong. Right. Right. Sorry. I, I, you know what? This is the first time in my life I have allowed myself to get angry about this. And I imagine it's coming across, but there's good reason. Well, anger, the Bible doesn't say it's wrong to be angry. The Bible be angry says not sin. to be angry and not sin. So the problem is what too many in the pious Christian world seem to believe is that just by having the faculty of anger suddenly makes you sinful which is a complete and, and total misinterpretation of that whatsoever. You can be mm-hmm. righteously angry. You can be righteously indignant, as I always am. If, I know Dennis likes to categorize me as an angry man. Yeah, I am angry. I am angry at, at this man's hypocrisy, his violence, 
his his heresy, how he's uh, has led this this entire movement into uh, spiritual ruination of so many lives, and that that would anger any godly person, any godly pastor. If I may be the only one on the microphone being heard on the internet, about it, so be it. It doesn't bother me. I, I'm used to that. It doesn't bother me that we have to call this sort of stuff up. But but you're not you're not coming across as, as you may be coming across as indignant and as, and you may feel angry. But uh, I don't perceive you as being this uh, this this raging person, uh, uh, and you're being very measured in what you're saying, and, and, and it's because it's the truth. It's what you've seen. Well, it's the preponderance, uh, the preponderance of evidence. Um, you know, I think what they do is they distort, exploit, and weaponize God's power and authority, and they manipulate people. They control them, and in in doing so, they harm them. Uh, they harm relationships, and they they harm our autonomy. And no, oh yeah, and guess what? It creates a lot of shame and fear. I think the reason I can be so forceful now. It's because I I just recognize this now. I am getting over the shame and fear. Sure. I'm getting over the shame of what I didn't accomplish as a Christian in Xenos. I did not accomplish what I was supposed to accomplish. I didn't add to the numbers. Mm-hmm. I didn't bring a lot of people to the Lord. Now, does it even count that I became more close to the Lord, they have no measure of how how, clo- how much closer people are getting to the Lord. Uh, if I yeah. am becoming sanctified, if I'm becoming more like Christ, numbers of people that I bring is not a good proxy for that. That is not the same thing. There's yeah. some of us, you, you know, and also that they treat us like they all have, like we all have the same gifts. If you're a choleric and you can be forceful and you can execute a sermon, things like that, uh, then that's what you have to be. Well, what about First Corinthians 12, 20, 12 to 26, where it talks about the body, the unity of the body? Uh, here's 21, verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Well, gosh darn, I'm a sanguine. Maybe I'm the low life of the world. At least you think I'm a sanguine. But why can't you treat me like I have a place in the body? Why do you have to treat me like I'm just some tag along that you're that's limping along and can't bring the numbers of people in? Well, it's because they, because because they depart from what the scripture says. First Corinthians thirteen: Love hopes all things, bears all things, endures all things. Love never fails. That's not what a that's not what you you set out to to model your life by when you decide to buy into some some foolish uh, personality test uh, written by a Christian author. No matter how how uh, insightful it might be. You, when you pigeon, as you've said well, when you pigeonhole people into spiritual types and categories, you've automatically stereotyped them. You've shut them down. And, and when you are taught an ironclad rule that says, because they're X, Y, Z, you have to treat them this way or that way or which way mm-hmm. or whatever way. And this is how, and then, of course, this has all kinds of implications for how you socialize, how you spend mm-hmm. time. How you invest yourself in people, how you even look at them—you're automatically judging people as as this or that. Yeah. 
and you you completely overshoot, you completely short circuit what First Corinthians thirteen says: love endures all things, hopes all things, bears all things. It should never matter whether someone's a choleric or a phlegmatic or a sanguine or melancholic. It's it's bogus. It's pop psychology. It has nothing to do with scripture. It but, is. But that, yeah. that's something that, that doesn't bother Xenos because that's what they're into. They're into the popularistic ways uh, that, that they can use to uh, to categorize people. And, and, that's, yeah. and that's very handy for people who are in authoritarian positions. They get science, a cytoscience, a cytosocial science on their side and say, see, this person is here in this ministry's position because they're this. And this person's mm-hmm. over here, uh, cleaning up, uh, cleaning up after the party and not sharing scripture because they're this. That, that is exactly what Xenos is so guilty of. And when they, when they sow that kind of division, and that's exactly what it is, when they sow that kind of division into, into the, the body of Christ that's already confused, immature, they reap the harvest of what they have now. And that is basically a full blown mind controlling cult that's eating people mm-hmm. up and spitting them out for dinner. Well, it's very capricious. I mean, when exactly. did Christ ever do anything like that? The woman, they go back to the Samaritan woman at the well. He knew her. He knew all about her. Mm-hmm. And he also knew how to draw her to him. That, you know, I remember John White. My memory of some of the things at, at uh, Fish House are very clear. They had John White, who was an author, and I don't even think he's alive anymore. I have a tape of his that I used to listen to from time to time. And um, it might not be on that tape, but I remember him saying that you can discern whether it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you, or maybe he said Satan, I don't remember. But let me just let's say it that way. If Satan is talking to you, his goal is to take you away from God. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, his goal is to draw you to the Lord. Well, guess what I see? I do not see their practices drawing people to the Lord. I see the hundreds of people that, that, now there are some people that are still there, but the people that I have seen, the ones that are strewn on the road along the way over the years, from them chewing them up and spitting them out, there's pain, there's anguish. There are people who've actually become atheists because of that. Does the Holy Spirit do that? No. Never. Right. Well, why would you want to believe in God if God really is the way that Zenos paints him to be? Zenos doesn't serve the biblical God. They serve an anti-biblical idol, which which uh, the McCallums and the entire organization have set up and said, this is God, bow your knee to him. That's exactly what they have done. The true God mm-hmm. is a God of perfect balance of love and justice. Okay, love, love takes into and takes account of the fact that we are weak, fallen people and justice meets out to them the appropriate amount of punishment or grace grace that they should that, that they should that they should should receive that's what grace is it's undeserved felt it's undeserved kind in xenos that's exactly the opposite you have a star chamber bunch of a star chamber organization where anyone can be called on the on the on the carpet for any reason at all and be judged and and and, and as you've so well said here that been made judge during executioner of someone. Yeah. No matter what they and do. The, exec- the executioner is a good uh, parallel because there are people who have been deeply, deeply wounded 
And, and I'll tell you what, I think that Christ looks upon that. And I think, I just, I think he, he, it just grieves him. It's a grievous thing. Right. Oh, sure. It does not draw you near the Lord. Oh, it absolutely grieves. It grieves me. It grieves anyone with a conscience. But at the same time, I think it gets him angry. You read Ezekiel chapter 34. People hear me. They think it's my hobby horse. It's not. It's biblical truth. Well, you read over and over Yahweh's view of those false shepherds who beat and cruelly abused the sheep who, who they were put over to lead and love. And instead, they, they treat them like trash and devour themselves and then leave them to be prey for all the, what they call the beasts of the field or, or, or the forces of the world that try to devour them, including temptation, including misunderstanding. I mean, God's indignation in Ezekiel chapter 34, can't be ignored. And I know I've preached this again and again, but I will never stop because that's exactly what we see in that scripture, a a complete parallel to the situation and also a prophetic warning to those who are of this this sick brand of of so-called Christian faith, a warning for those who are are continuing to, to, to defend and uphold this this twisted church and this and this this sick spirituality that to keep doing so and ignoring the cries of the of, of the abuse and, and 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 upholding the hands of those who do abuse that they are standing right in the bullseye of God's judgment. God has no shortage of, uh-huh. of, of getting His point across to anyone. He can use anything from COVID nineteen to a burst brain aneurysm. He can use anything from from uh, flesh-eating bacteria to a car accident, to a financial ruin, to to a sickness, to an assault. There's all kinds of evil things going on in the world, and God can use any one of those to get our attention, not because he wants to destroy us, because he loves us, because He wants he, those whom he loves, the Bible says, he's willing to chastise. But Zenos is beyond that. They almost put themselves beyond that. Well, we know we are right. We're perfect. Who, who could who could instruct us? They sound mm-hmm. like the Laodicean church. You know, I'm I, I'm rich. I am need of nothing. When when Jesus said, "You are blind and you're naked and you're worthless. You better repent." And that's exactly where they're at. Yeah, you know, there is a hubris and arrogance that you see. Uh, they don't accept correction. I don't know. I don't know of any examples. Now there may be. They may exist. But I don't think they've had any effect. But oh, yeah. there's a failure to accept correction or criticism of any kind. Oh, yeah. um, they chuckle over. They don't. Yeah. They don't address evidence of abuses of members. At one point in time, I thought very seriously, numerous times, of writing a letter to Dennis and explaining this. And again, this was when I thought maybe I was the exception. Uh, that oh, this is what happened to me. Please be aware of it. And uh, it just was. It was just a cathartic exercise for me, which I never ended up doing. Uh, but instead, what do they do? They circle the wagons, and they're just a stiff-necked people. Mm-hmm. That's they what are. they are. They, are. they exhibit inordinate, inordinate uh, control over members with coercion and manipulation. I think um, what we've in, done is we've created a new cottage industry for their new band of young apologists. We're now they're opening up wing after wing uh, oh, of, of, uh, of, of people to defend the faith by writing more and more um so-called responses to to their criticism. I haven't even begun to address uh, anything directly sent to me, except in one instance with Dennis emailing me about his his um, his battery of his wife. Uh, I've only, I've not even addressed 
any of that. I, I hope to eventually, but I'm, I'm right in the middle of this really large writing project for the Gladstone movement, the cult that we've been talking about here. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. but which, which, uh, something we're hoping to really get done if we're, for too much longer. But, but that's exactly what I perceive in just reading over and looking over what they do. There's absolutely not an ounce of repentance or remorse or shame. There's defensiveness, there's arrogance, and there, there's absolute uh, dismissal of anything mm-hmm. anyone may have said to them. And that's exactly what's going on here. And it, and it doesn't surprise me, but it, mm-hmm. it won't bode well for Xenos in that day to come when they when they will be facing accountable of what they do. So, yeah, pearls before swine, though. I mean, exactly. I, I admire you for, for going forward with that, but I I personally, I'm not giving you advice, but for me personally, I'm not going to waste any time trying to tell them what happened to me. They don't care. Right, and exactly. In fact, when you were talking, there, there are a few voy- verses that, that, uh, that came to mind, and actually, I did I did type these up, so it's not off the top of my head. I don't want to make anybody think that I'm so spiritual I can whistle, whistle these off. But uh, uh, Matthew twelve thirty four, when Jesus proclaimed, Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right. So what kind of things do they speak out of their mouths? Mm-hmm. If it's if that's what comes out about excommunication and this uh, inordinate uh, concern about sex, I mean it, the Bible is clear. It, you shouldn't engage in fornic- forn- fornication. You shouldn't. It it is a sin. Um, there are a lot of sins. I sin all the time. I don't have to sin that way. I mean I'm a sinner. That's that's just until we go to heaven, we're not gonna. We're just gonna. You know, we just have to rely on the Lord to lead us. Uh, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. I, I honestly think of them as Pharisees. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Do they have justice? Do they have mercy? Are they faithful? <laughs> you ask yourself. Do you, I mean, just let people know that. Knows that knows the answer to that question. I think the people then, who, who been on this podcast know that question. They've known what the ten of mercies of Zenos actually look like, and and, mm-hmm, and nothing to do mm-hmm. with what Scripture point paints out. It goes right back to, love, to verse Corinthians thirteen: love endures all things, hopes all things, is gentle, it's sweet, it's 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 it's, it's what's uplifting, and it's not. There's nothing in Zenos's treatment of people that's uplifting. Well, yeah, and the love—it's not just a nice idea; it's a command. John thirteen thirty four thirty five. A new command I give you: love one another, as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By all, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Do I see any modicum of love in those kinds of actions? Just ask the people that have been that have been damaged and abused. Yeah. Have they been, have they received love? No way. Oh yeah, that's not love. Yeah. It, it's not even anything close to tough yeah. love. Yeah, we've and we've heard that over and over testimony. What, what love and you know, is like. Love is when you do something that that that, and you jump through the hoop that's high enough where you can't reach it. So you can make it somehow. Then you're loved, but then the love is toleration. Okay, we'll we'll let you back. We'll vote you in. We won't vote you off the island. You can stay mm-hmm. with us uh, as long as you keep hopping through the hoops that we set up here. That's not love. 
That's 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 human. That's human folly. That's human uh, affection. Got nothing to do with God whatsoever. Well, not only that, but it's a works-based salvation. Exactly. You have to do these things, or you're not saved. Right. That's that's. You know what? I know God well enough. I know that Christ died for me, and it's not through my merit. It's nothing I did. It's His sacrifice. Right. It, there's nothing I could do at Zenos to be to fit in there. Nothing. They would not accept me now. Right, right. They wouldn't accept anyone, though. That's the problem. If Jesus walked down the middle of the aisle there during Central Teachings and started pulling out a whip to start throwing things around, they'd look at him like he was crazy. They'd call the police. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't realize mm-hmm. that they just had a visitation. And and, and to me, and we'll, we'll leave with this and we'll, we'll, we'll get ready to wrap up here. To me, um, and I view my, I can't speak for anyone else except what I do, obviously. What I do here on this podcast is, to me, a form of pastoral visitation. It's a, and I believe it's God's way of sending a final word of visitation to places like Xenos, like Gladstone, like Remnant Fellowship, like all the other cults we've exposed over the years. It's our final word to warn you, listen, repent or be ready to have your candlestick jerked out and crushed in the ground. And well, I'll tell you what. That's yeah. how I look at it. And, and and this may be God's last means of grace extended to these people. And it does, you know, it's between them and God once I deliver what I say uh, after that. It's between him and them. And then the chips are going to fall where they may. Mm-hmm. Well, it's ministered to me. You know, I, my I'm husband will say, are. how on earth can you hear those stories and tell me it makes you feel better? It, of course, it's grievous. But it, it, it just... It has ministered to me in a way, and it, it, it's the fellowship of the suffering. That's yeah. what we have. Um, you have shared a lot of stories from a lot of people. It doesn't make the pain go away, but I don't know what it does. It's real cathartic to me. Um, but, but, you know, I, I would like to make a point if I could, and this is just a very personal point. I don't in any way, shape, or form want to make it seem like I think I'm better than anybody. I am no better than Gary, I'm no better than Dennis. I am no better than any of the leaders. I know that Christ's sacrifice is the only reason I've received salvation. I don't think I have all the answers, but I'll tell you what, I'm just telling you what I see there. And I realize that I have my own sinful behavior that I have to be accountable for. So I don't in any way want to make it seem like I am saying I'm any better than them. I am not. We all come to Christ as we are. And we we bow our heads and, and beg his forgiveness and thank him with everything we have for dying on the cross for us. Mm-hmm. Because that's the only means of salvation. Right. Amen. And this is not... And, and... The words we share and the testimony we give voice to is not meant to be, there's not a single person I've spoken with who's ever felt that they feel morally superior, that they feel uh, themselves to be better than the the people that that they have rightly criticized and and brought into uh, uh, focus on. They understand that they're weak people like they are. I understand that. I'm a minister, and I agree with you. I have to resist against sin every day. It's a battle. 
We can, oh, we, yeah. can we, we can win it. The Bible says by crucifying ourselves in the flesh, as the Book of Romans teaches us, we can win the battle over temptation, and that we can do it every day. We we don't always do. I am not, I am my, you can ask my wife who won't have to live with you. I, I, I she can see how often I blow it. But I have a savior who I can go to and who I can ask forgiveness of. I don't need I don't need a shepherd. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them, but I don't need a shepherd or someone that I have to go confess my sins to when I have the Holy Spirit to do so. Now is it a good thing to unburden yourself with people? Yes, as long as they're the right kinds of people. Xenos is not full of the right kinds of people. There's a lot of very sincere people who do not know what to do with, 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 with what they're presented. So therefore, anyone in Xenos who's struggling with should, should understand what the Bible says. When First John 1 and 9 says, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins yes. and to cleanse you from all your righteousness. He doesn't just forgive sin after you, after you confess and repent of it. He's, he's faithful to, to cleanse you to remove its stain, to make it, to completely render it powerless to you as you trust in him. How many times have I had to rely on that? I have had to rely on it every day of my Christian life. And mm -hmm. I have to deal with sins and temptations that I know 40 years ago when I was a younger man, I would have crumbled to within, within moments. But that's because I've grown mm -hmm. in grace. That's because I've learned how, how, how to find the escape when the temptation comes. Young people who are 20 years old don't have a clue about that. Peer leaders don't have a clue about that. I don't even think Desmond Callum has a clue about that. He may theologically understand it, but he doesn't understand that, that this is what is at the heart of what we're talking about. If you're going to give your life over to faith and religion, make sure it's sound. Make sure it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's on the it's on the other. Make sure it's it's solid. And in a place like Xenos, it's not there. There is no balance there. There is no, no, no foundation whatsoever. So, mm -hmm. in wrapping up your list, I know we're going on way on, but, but I want to ask you in, in your closing, how, what was, you, you shared with us the final moment when you finally felt like that you were done with Xenos. So, you, so you were never kicked out. You just walked away, right? No, I, I somehow got lost in the shuffle. I got married. Uh, Jose told me that uh, if 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 I followed God, uh, then I would never get sick. And I, you know, that was the last straw. And I just kind of disappeared into the into the night, and nobody called me back. You know, it's, I I was fortunate that they didn't have to shun me. I just walked away. I. I walked away with my tail between my legs because it's not like I walked away proud saying, Oh, well, I got over on them. I was ashamed. I was, I, I felt awful. I, I felt like I was walking away from the Lord, just like a lot of other people feel. Um, but I just think God guided me out and he protected me. And I, fortunately, you know, my divorce was becoming finalized. I was doing my entrance exams for the PhD program and I was just getting ready to go into it. So, so I was, I was very busy with other things. I had a whole new life to start. So I was one of the fortunate ones. I, I, I don't know if I would have been excommunicated. Um, but, uh, I sure didn't live up to what they wanted me to be. That's for sure. And I don't know why. I don't know what I did wrong. Yeah. I just was treated like I was very, I was very much marginalized. Yeah. You know, but you know, badly. Uh, you, just, you just blame it on yourself and, yeah. and think, well, you know, I don't know what I did. 
but I'm a yeah, bad person. And, and it, it just takes years. It takes years to overcome that. Right. And so here we are, 2023. Uh, you contacted us about about seven months ago, actually uh, right at the start of 2023. Yeah. And that's when you began sharing with us what these podcasts meant to you. So, so you you, yeah, had gotten, you you had gotten therapy though for a lot a lot of your past issues, but did you ever not get any, did you any get any specifically for the Xena the abuses you felt in Xenos? No, not formally. Um, no, in fact, I didn't really. I don't know how the best way to put this. I just closed up that book and I shuffled it away and filed it on the the bookshelf of all the activities in my life, and I had to take it out when I was starting to listen to your broadcasts and someone mm-hmm. would share something and I'd go, whoa, that happened to me. Oh my dear Lord, that happened to you. And, and, and I can't, you know, if there's one message I can say to anybody who listens to this has been through that, I'm not unlike anybody else. When I hear those things, it brings me to tears. Right. It, it just, it, it is so very heartbreaking. Yeah. And and there's a lot of courage that people have, and I'm sure that the Lord holds those people up so they can get through it. Because how else would you get through it? Right, right. It's a leveling thing to hear that not only have you been decimated in a way, in a uniquely personal, devastating way that that the Xenos can do people, and then you hear others have gone through the same thing. And here you're telling me. I mean, we haven't even scratched a lot of what you could have said, but you're telling me about things that occurred to you. You're making observations about people and places and things and instances. You're telling me about hypocrisies at high levels. Back in the 70s and the 80s, and here we are 20 years later, 23, 25 years later, and it's still going on. And in fact, it's even worse. And so therefore... It's part of the, it's part of the foundation. It's the cracks, those are the same cracks that I saw in yeah. the foundation. Yeah, and I suffered from. And I'll tell you what. I hope other people are different from me. But those scars, I can remember those things. I hadn't thought about most of these things right. until I started listening to your broadcast. Yeah, those are deep scars. They yeah. heal. The Lord brings healing to them, and He holds me by the hand and He walks me through. But those are deep scars. Yeah, and yeah. other people, not just me. Anybody who's been who's gone through that, those are very deep scars, and yeah. a lot of people's are a lot newer and fresher than mine. Yeah, and yeah. and they're you know, I just I pray for those people. Yeah, and I would encourage those as well. And we certainly pray every day for all Xenos Nation, all the people of Xenosverse to come to the light and see the darkness they've been in, living in. But at the same time, they want. To understand, people need to give themselves permission to forgive themselves as well as those who, who bewitched them. And understand that everybody was a part of a horrible deception that was set up a long time ago. And that in the midst of that deception, when you when you finally get a hold of the truth, that it, 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 it can be used as, as, a, as a teachable moment that, that can really help them and help them move on toward the healing. I mean, finding a good therapist finding someone who can walk you through those dark places is worth every penny you could spare to do that. We would encourage anyone who's listening, who may be, be on that point, who may have heard something that, that uh, um, Anne has shared here today, uh, to consider those things, to consider a way out, because this, this is a system that's under God's curse. 
it's 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 a system that 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 he is going to touch sovereignly with great justice as Ezekiel thirty four. Go back and read it. Pull out your Bibles. Read Ezekiel thirty four. See what God's view is on Zenos there. And so I I would encourage people to, to you know to to don't wait. Make a decision. And, and move forward. If you're if you're gonna live for the devil, go ahead. Be the best ministry ministry house manipulator you can be. But then, but, but then be prepared to face the music and smell the pizza, or decide that you can get out. Decide that there's something wrong. Decide that all those things that have been bothering all those years really all matter and make and and really all um, add up to something. Very vile that you need to think about and redecide upon. Um, and with, we give our people. You know, I really appreciate your taking this, this past almost ninety minutes to to really share. Uh, we always give our guests an opportunity in the last few minutes of our of our podcast to kind of share from the heart with anyone they would like to. Maybe there's maybe you'd like to send a message, personal message to a leader or a friend or someone that might be listening in. Uh, maybe there's something you just really would like to just unburden yourself to uh, your your friends, uh, your people you may have left behind. Uh, what would you like to say in this, in this next few minutes? I'm going to give you the floor. Well, I've heard other people make comments, and I honestly don't have any advice for Dennis at all. Uh, I guess the overall message that I have is that for the people who have been wounded, God does love you. Um, there is a way through this. Yes. Uh, it's the way of the world. We live in a very sinful world. And, and, you know, just from a personal perspective, I don't want to sin. I don't want to hurt people, but I do sometimes. And, and God is able to, to, uh, to bring people out of that. Um, yeah. God loves Dennis. Dennis may be a brother. I, I honestly question whether he's truly a Christian. He may yeah. well be. Um, if he is, he's my brother. And I, I long for him to, to, to know the Lord, to know, to know him better. Um, you know, I, I, it's just a, a grievous thing. Um, the world is, a, the, the Lord is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And, um, he can show us out, um, out of the darkness. Um, I'm at the end of my career. I've retired. Um, other people are at the very early parts. So I can see what God has done in my life. And sometimes it takes a retrospective viewpoint. But when you're in the middle of it, sometimes you don't see. Um, yeah. But I do know that the Lord loves loves us and he provides a way and he is very forbearing. Um, and he wants us all to come to yeah. a knowledge of him. So yeah. I don't know that I really have any other message than that. I, I, um, I don't have any, I don't derive any pleasure at all from condemning the actions of any of the leaders. Um, but I hope that they do open their eyes and, and, and go to the Lord and, and ask them, ask him uh, to show them the truth. Um, yeah. yeah. That's uh, I guess that's the best I can do. I don't have a whole lot more. <laughs> and I think you've done a wonderful job and really just from the heart, really sharing insights that I think are, are, painfully bought perspectives and I uh, we are so glad you came by the way to share with us and as and I certainly would agree with you no one takes pleasure in having to be a prophet a true prophet actually uh, no one takes pleasure in having to speak 
the truth uh, in love in, in, right into the faces of those who are going to turn around and call everything you say a lie and view everything you say as, as a work of Satan. No one takes pleasure in that. But you know what? I'm doing, I think in so doing, in stealing your face to speak it anyway, and I mean, you're, you're pleasing the Lord. You're doing his will. That's the will I want to be found in when he comes. And that's the will I want to be able to say to him when I face him. Lord, I said what I know you wanted to have said. People heard what needed to be heard. And I'm, I'm thankful that I obeyed you. And I trust you do with it as you would in lives today. And I trust as we pray all the time, God will use these podcasts in some small way to help all of the slaves of the Xenosverse realize there is hope. There is reality beyond the uh, the womb that they're currently trapped in, that they've never been birthed from. Thanks for listening today as we explore just where are we going. Our prayer is that you have been encouraged and strengthened, and if necessary, challenged in your daily journey through life. Jesus is coming. You can fall with the night, or you can rise with the sun. The choice is yours. You can email us with questions and comments at feedback at spiritwatch.org. And if you need urgent personal spiritual help, email us at help at spiritwatch.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Please follow our podcasting at our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. This podcast is a production of Spirit Watch Ministries, taking heed that no man deceives you.